gave us an ultimatum. It was either move out of home and start paying rent or start paying him rent. Or the third option was he's going to buy us our first investment property and we pay the mortgage. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump and in this episode, we're speaking with the director of Bobby's Landscaping, Sydney Strata Gardens and the investors agency, Babek Hayori. We delve into the companies that he's running and how he's able to juggle them. He shares the story of his first investment property, how he's able to build his portfolio and much, much more. Hayori has been able to establish three successful businesses and we find out what his typical day looks like with such a busy schedule. So the days vary quite a bit. A few things that I that I are sort of non-negotiables in my day are I meditate for 10 minutes in the morning and then I read for about half an hour. Um, and then the day sort of starts from there, whether it's meeting with clients, meeting with referral partners, researching the market, uh, researching property cycles, meeting the boys on site for the landscaping companies at times. I still still uh, still meet them. I try and meet them weekly. So yeah, the days vary quite a bit. And I guess another non-negotiable is uh, I need to train every afternoon. That sort of keeps me sane. I find uh, if I stop doing the exercise, I uh, yeah, I sort of I'm a bit scatterbrained. It's hard enough to look after one business, let alone three. No wonder he struggles to be able to switch his mind off. I have always struggled with meditation and I've tried it so many times over the years and I've never really been able to so I'm still learning. So out of the 10 minutes, there's really only like two minutes that I'm actually switched off and actually meditating. The rest of the eight minutes, my brain's still going a million miles an hour but that two minutes feels amazing and I guess it's a matter of just training yourself and gradually turning you know, the two minutes into three, four and five and, and expanding it from there. We find out about how he started Bobby's Landscaping and how that transitioned him into creating his own Strata business. I started uh, Bobby's Landscapes, which is a landscape maintenance company about 10 years ago. Uh, I had about one or two years experience working for someone else but then, I mean, let's not beat around the bush, Tyrone. It's it's not exactly rocket science. So, so garden maintenance is, is pretty simple. So, I went out and started on my own and then about Four or five years ago, when there was the construction boom in Sydney for, for for strata blocks, I noticed there was quite a shortage of reliable uh, landscape maintenance companies that only focus on strata blocks. So there was a shortage of reliable, uh, good quality service being provided there. So that's when I started Sydney Strata Gardens. And that transition was quite simple because – I already had the staff, I already had the cars, I already had the tools, the structures and procedures all in place. So that was that was quite a simple transition. Um, and and yeah, I thought I thought well this is the dream, right? Let's let's grow let's grow a company to a point where it doesn't require your time. Let's um and and you can sort of take a step back and and you have all this free time but but very quickly I started I started, uh, I was quite unhappy when I had all that spare time and I was really restless and I didn't really have much of drive or passion or purpose. So like very quickly, I realized that this isn't for me. I need to, I need to get back into something, you know, and, and property is what I've always, I guess, had a healthy obsession with. Sometimes you need to work in an area that you might not be passionate about 
but it can lead you in the right direction. You can't do intensive labor work forever. And that's why I guess scaled the point, scaled the business to a point where I essentially had staff doing uh, all the, I guess, most of the work. But I guess going back to going back to landscaping, I actually have no interest in landscaping. I don't have any passion in landscaping, which sounds a bit funny. I I only ever saw my landscaping companies as a vehicle to allow me to do what I wanted to do in terms of property. So so that was over the past eight or 10 years, the landscaping, I didn't see it as landscaping. It was just, it's a business which can allow me to follow my real passion, which is property. Hayeri shares the story of his background and where he grew up. I came to Australia when I was two years old from Iran. I'm 30 years old now. And we first moved to Wollongong, just about an hour south of Sydney. And then from there, we've pretty much been on the North Shore and Northern beaches of Sydney uh, all over the place. You know, Chatswood, Willoughby, Roseville, um, all across the Northern beaches. Uh, and now I've, I'm in Narrabeen and, and uh, it's, I wish I came to Narrabeen earlier. I, I love it here. We learn about what Hayeri decided to do after he finished high school. After high school, I, before I started the first company, I, I was a construction laborer for a while. I did office removals for a while, uh, office relocations, office removalist, construction laborer. My parents own a shop in Willoughby as well. It's like a Persian grocery store. So, so I was also working there, just just giving them a hand and and. And yeah, so I did a bit of everything prior to starting uh, my own company. Going straight into the workforce after high school provided him with some valuable experience in a period that he can look back on fondly. I look back now and I, and I really appreciate it because I got to spend so much time with my parents. At the time, I didn't appreciate it. To be honest, at the time, I was quite lazy and unmotivated and it was the easiest sort of thing to do. I didn't really have a reason to try find another nine to five job five days a week because I always had my parents shop to fall back on. And and like I said, at the time, it, was, I was, it wasn't really appreciated. But now I'm very grateful for the amount of time I got to spend with them because, you know, as they get older, you realize you appreciate it so much more. He has a profound respect and appreciation for the labor industry after his stint working in construction. I applied with a recruitment company and they ended up finding me a job as a laborer for a construction company, and that was it. That was that was literally only a few months. I did it. Uh, that was that was hard work. I have so much. I have like you know so much respect for for those who are in the construction laboring industry, and I guess lots of laboring industries. But that was really really hard work. At that time, I didn't have a driver's license, so I was getting up at getting up at four thirty five in the morning, getting public transport to the other side of Sydney, and, and literally just digging all day or, or moving stuff around all day. And I did that. I didn't last long. Like I said, it was only a few months, but it was uh, it was definitely long enough, and I learned a lot of things from it. So on the construction side, it's normally seven till three. However, the day was really from like four thirty five o'clock until you'd get home at five thirty six in the afternoon. So the days were the days were twelve hour days or more. But the actual labor itself were eight-hour days. But eight hours when you when you're when you're um when you're digging and moving bricks and cement and soil and all this sort of stuff, eight hours a day it feels it feels like a lot longer. How was the I guess in terms of conditions and, and maybe even just the uh, remuneration behind that? Like was that actually good good enough for you to actually do that for that short period of time? 
monetary wise, I guess it was for my age. I, I would have just left school then. So I think I was 18 or something. And, and, and I guess for, I can't remember how much I was, I was, I can't remember how much I was getting now. It would have been around 20 or $25 an hour, but 10 years ago when you're 18 years old, that that's decent money when you don't have many overheads, but it also gave me enough. I was also the experience I learned, like, you know, the skills I learned from that, the experience I took away from it was that I need to, I need to get my, myself sorted because I can't do this for, for much longer. So I need to start, you know, at that age, I realized I need, to, I, need to, I need to do something with myself. Hayari moved on from construction and went into gardening. He explains how he learned a lot from that experience. I worked for another garden maintenance company on, in the northern beaches of Sydney for about a year or two. I worked with someone else. And then after getting about a year or two experience with someone else, I just went out on my own. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's it's not exactly rocket science. As long as as long as you 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 learn the basic skills, there's a lot more you can learn on the job. And running the business was a lot harder than learning the tools. Opening up your own company brings with it a lot of challenges, and he shares some that he faced. I learned to be a lot more accepting, and and you know not everyone not everyone has the same mentality as as you do. I learned that at quite a young age, and just trying to, in terms of staff. What I learned the most is is how different people like to be motivated and and it's not always money. Like I've learned that a lot over the past few years that that your staff are not always motivated by money. There's so many other things that they're motivated by. And it's just figuring out what it is that that motivates motivates each person. That was probably my biggest takeaway. I've got other structures and, and processes in place uh, where you know, I've got, I've got a, a, I'm really lucky to have a good, a good manager on board who looks after, looks after the staff and does all the quality control. And, and I'm, I'm very lucky that I've got a good team behind me in terms of the landscaping stuff. And that's, that's allowed me to, that's allowed me to, I guess, focus on, focus on my other, my other passions. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Babak Hari's journey and how he got started in property. We didn't really know the power behind property and, and where it can get you. A great piece of advice he received from his father. So there was no strategy behind it or how to create, I guess, real wealth through property. But my dad always did, did tell us, you know, properties, you know, it's the safest asset over the long term. And that's next. I'm Taran Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. We hear an extraordinary story about how his property investing journey got started. I started about eight years ago when when my sister and I started working full time. We we're both living with our parents still, and my dad sort of he knew that we're working full time and we're not saving any any money. So he gave us an ultimatum. It was either move out of home and start paying rent, or start paying him rent. Or the third option was he's going to buy us our first investment property and we pay the mortgage. And obviously, we, we took the latter one. At that time, we didn't really, at that time, we didn't really, we were just like, that was the easiest option and great, okay, we can have a property, but we didn't really know the power behind property and, and, and where it can get you. It was just my dad sort of gave us that option and we, and we took it on board. Just to, I guess elaborate on that and the reason why I'm saying this is just because I know what human nature is like and and just in case there are a few people that are going to listen to the podcast 
and they say, oh, well, his dad bought him his first property, then I can't do it. It's too difficult, this and that. Because I know we're, we all look for excuses as to why we can't do anything. So just, just to elaborate on that, yes, we're very lucky and grateful that he did do that. But everything, everything we did, everything like my wife and I have done after that, we saved, we worked hard, we saved and we, we paid a deposit to do that ourselves. So we're very lucky my dad helped us with the first one, but that shouldn't be a reason why if there's anyone listening, that shouldn't be a reason why or give themselves an excuse to not, you know, hustle and not save the money and not go out and do it because it's definitely possible for anyone to do. We were on no, no means on, you know, on high incomes or anything. We were very, very average, very average income and we just, we just sort of hustled our way through and were able to do it. The next property that he bought was a great learning experience for him when it comes to buying and selling. After St. Ives, we, we uh, bought a, an apartment in Kalara, a two-bedroom apartment on the North Shore again, little old red brick building. We bought an apartment there and then we ended up selling that one about, about nine months later. And the reason why, we, in hindsight, maybe we shouldn't have, but the reason why we sold it was it was a very small block and, and the unit above us ended up going for, you know, I can't remember the price now, but it ended up going for a really high price. And we just thought, well, if we get the same price for it, we're going to end up making, I think it was about ninety or or $100,000 in one year. And at that time, that, this is just when Sydney was, oh, I, I don't know, I think this was about seven years ago, maybe six years ago. I can't remember now exactly. And then we thought, well, you know, if we put it back on the market, um, then, you know, we're going to get a price for it. So we ended up selling that one about a year later, made some good money. In hindsight, I don't know if that was the right option or not, but I guess the most important thing is we we got the money and we were able to use that to to do to get into property again. So we didn't waste that money. From Kilara, we we went to Brookvale. We bought a apartment in Brookvale, just a one bedroom, but it's got a ninety meter squared courtyard, and that one has about 5.8, 5.9% rental yield. So for those who know Sydney, it's normally 2 or 3% rental yields. That's getting about 5.8% at the moment just because it's in you know when we picked that one, we 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 wanted to pick a property where it's going to be in high demand and a lot of people say steer clear of one bedrooms, but if you've got a one bedroom with a 90 meter squared garden, that immediately has a lot of demand because there can be downsizers, there can be people with pets, there can be young couples that don't need two bedrooms but they want a garden. So that's been rented out. We lived in there for about the first, I think, one or two years and ever since then, it's been rented out every single week at, at you know, 5.8% rental yield. That's been a great, great performer. So that was, um, that was Brookvale um, and then we... And then we sort of, we sort of, un, like I sort of understood where Sydney has reached its tipping point and we wanted to invest. However, we sort of, we sort of understood that, yeah, that Sydney is going to come off the boil a little bit and it's going to, it's going to plateau for the, for the next four or five years. So we, we started, I guess, going borderless investing. So we moved to Grafton in northern New South Wales. We delve into how a high area will invest into risky areas as long as there are signs that show a profit could be turned. I don't mind investing in regional, in regional cities unless as long as, you know, there's, there's several industries that are driving that economy. So no way we would never go or recommend our clients or anyone to do a mining town. However, if you go to a regional city and it's got, for example, an education industry, uh, uh, it's, it's got hospitals, it's got agriculture. It's, if it's got a few different industries, then, then it's, 
it's safe and there's there's a very high probability that there's going to be strong capital growth and you're going to get very strong yields in those areas as well. So we moved to, not we moved, sorry, we bought in, uh, in Grafton and the reason why we did that is they're building the biggest, the biggest, one of the biggest jails in Australia, just just north of Grafton. And I guess when you've got, you know, one or two thousand employees that are going to be working there, and all their family move there as well, essentially that's going to change the whole area. And and now there's been several billion dollars worth of infrastructure in the in the Grafton Bypass Highway. Uh, they're upgrading the hospitals and, and and a whole heap of other upgrades in there. So, so that's why we went to Grafton. I think we bought. We bought one place for th- for two two eighty, I think it was. But at the moment, we're getting rent for three. We're getting rent for three ninety. It is never too early to learn about the value of having profitable properties. And Harry learned a lot from his father. My dad has always been interested in property, and they they had like an investment property in Ermington, close to Parramatta of, of New South, you know, in Sydney. They had an investment property there, and and they sort of my dad always sort of encouraged to invest in property, but. On a very simple, you know, most people when they invest in property, you buy one or two and you're normally priced out or capped out and you can't continue investing. So there was no strategy behind it or how to create, I guess, real wealth through property. But my dad always did did tell us, you know, properties, you know, it's the safest asset over the long term and, and you'll do you'll do really well in the long term. We hear about the properties that Hayeri currently has in his portfolio and whether there are more coming in the near future. So we've got the got Snives, Kilara, we sold Kilara and then we did Brookvale and then Grafton and then also in Grafton we bought a we bought a block of land and did a subdivision project and now there's two they they're going to be built they're going to be completed next month so there's two houses um, in two two other houses in Grafton as well which are due for completion next month some property investors will go through some tumultuous times but others are fortunate enough to have a lucky run with their portfolio. I was trying to think about this, my worst investing moment and I think I have to be very lucky to say that to say that I haven't experienced one. I think the first property we bought in St. Ives, it was off the plan and that was luck. That could have, you know, that could have very well and truly set us back four or five years because it could have been the wrong purchase. However, that was complete luck that we bought at the bottom of the market and it went up. So that could have potentially been our worst, you know, investing moment. But I'm very grateful to say that that we were lucky during that time, and and so far we've you know we've been pretty lucky and haven't haven't experienced anything too bad. He explains how the property in St. Ives could have been possibly been a disaster for him. When I say that could have been our worst investing moment, if we just bought at the wrong time of the market, like my dad likes to think that he knew what was happening with property cycles and property markets. Maybe he did, but I certainly didn't at that age. I didn't. It was just we saw this development. You get sold by the big shiny objects and the shiny shiny development and we bought there and it happened to be the bottom of the market. However, that could have very easily been at the top of the market. And you know, you you know, we've heard all the horror stories. If you buy, uh, you know, an off the plan at the top of the market, you either need to come up with a larger deposit because the banks aren't going to cover it, or you know, it gets valuated under, or it's just a dodgy development, or you know, there's so many things that can go wrong. But we we're quite lucky that the the build itself was was quite good, and we didn't have any issues. And it came when it got completed, it valued higher than what we paid, so we had a great experience. Even though he wouldn't recommend purchasing what he did in St. Ives, sometimes things simply just work out. This was apartments. So this was like the this was the 
this was the, you know, we ticked every single box of what not to do with property investing with our first one and we still came out, you know, very, like I said, we were lucky, we came out on top. We, this was a big Meriton, Meriton building. It had the pool, had the gym, had the spa, had the lifts, had everything, every, every, every bucket that you're not meant to fill with property investing, we, we filled with that one. The strata costs were relatively high, but at that time, the rental yields were quite high as well. So, you know, it's different to, I think the apartment cost about five, five seventy or some, you know, around five seventy, and we we're renting it out for around five fifty or, you know, so it was at that time, eight years ago, the rental yields were, were quite good in Sydney. So if you're paying higher for strata levies, it doesn't really matter. But now if you're, if you're getting into a property that's, you're only getting two or 3% yield, and then you've got all the strata levies on top, it's, it's a lot more difficult to hold on to. In contrast, we learn about a moment in his career where he realized that things were going to work out better than expected. My aha moment would have been after my wife and I got married and we had our honeymoon and, and we were living in the apartment in Brookvale, we started paying off our mortgage quite aggressively. And, and at that same time, the Sydney prices were going up rapidly. So we were paying off the mortgage quite aggressively and Sydney prices were going up rapidly. And every time I would look in, you know, like every couple of weeks or a month, I'd look in our banking, like the bank account, the mortgage, just to, just to keep track of everything. I saw the mortgages coming down, you know, looked at the prices again, prices gone up. And that was really where I saw how much wealth you can create in property. So that's where I was like, I want to be able to do the same thing again with other properties and essentially instead of us paying it off have tenants pay it off and if you can you can if you can recycle that same that same thing several times and that's where you create real wealth so basically seeing how things were going just to explain the part when you're looking at bank account things were going up and down are you saying that um, you hadn't revalued the property but you just start seeing more income come in is that what you're referring to we just started paying down the debt and I was on top of the markets at that time, so I also knew how high the prices were going. Literally every month, the prices of the properties were increasing. So we were paying down the debt, prices were increasing, and I could just see how much, I guess, equity and value you were creating through property. With our St. Ives or Kilara Place, I didn't look at the bank account once. I just set up a regular payment out of my account into the other account, and it was just a regular payment that was getting put in there. But I never saw the actual numbers of you know the mortgages coming, mortgage coming down, and the value going up. So my Brookvale experience was my first experience of seeing the actual. And I mean, like I said, with the Brookvale, we're paying it down a lot more aggressively. So that's where I saw how how much you know how powerful property can be because that's when I actually saw the numbers in front of me. The properties were increasing. So we were paying down the debt, prices were increasing and I could just see how much, I guess, equity and value you were creating through property. With our St. Ives or Kilara Place, I didn't look at the bank account once. I just set up a regular payment out of my account into the other account and it was just a regular payment that was getting put in there. But I never saw the actual numbers of you know the mortgages coming, mortgage coming down and the value going up. So my Brookvale experience was my first experience of seeing the actual and I mean like I said with the Brookvale we're paying it down a lot more aggressively. So that's where I saw how how much, you know, how powerful property can be because that's when I actually saw the numbers in front of me.
So, inspired by Babek Hari's journey and his amazing aha moment, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Invest Story, where we'll discuss his strategy. My advice to anyone looking to start out is before you purchase any property, figure out what your end goal is and work backwards from there. The personal habits which have been contributing to his success. Education by far is, if, if, if we're talking about personal habits that's contributed to my success, it would be personal uh, yeah, education and um, and mindset. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory.